Well, good morning. My name is Greg, uh, and I am the family's pastor, and it's a joy to be in front of you this morning. And um, here's my family. We've got a picture of them for any of you who I don't know and haven't had the opportunity to meet my awesome family. This is us just a few weeks ago in Southeast Asia. Um, the person in the back is not part of our family. Um, <laughs> The resemblance might throw you off, but um, to me, to me, that is. It's my beautiful wife, Allison, and our daughter, Emery, uh, and our sons, Hudson and Grayson. And so you can see that I'm a dad, um, and I know there are a lot of dads in the room present with us right now. And so we want to take a moment to wish you Happy Father's Day. So if you are a dad and you're in the room, go ahead and stand up for us. And... Uh, this is the awkward part where I ask you to keep standing for, for, for a moment, okay? So don't just sit right down because we want to honor you. We want to honor you. We first, first, just what a privilege it is to be a dad. What an honor it is to be, to be given the stewardship of children in our lives, the way that they transform us, the way that they draw out the very best of us, sometimes the worst of us, um, the, way they, the way that God uses our kids in our lives as men to shape in and hone and, and do his sanctifying work in us. And so we honor each and every dad in this room. You're so valuable, you're so important, and I can't understate that. And, and part of, as I say that, is, is I, I want to extend a charge to you as fathers as well. The importance that you have in, in the lives of your families goes far beyond just what you can provide. And so often we're led to believe or we settle into believing um, that our job is to protect and to provide and that it ends there. And while that's so important and so valuable, it is such an important calling on our lives uh, really, I think the greatest calling that we have as dads is to bestow identity upon our sons and daughters. It's to speak to them in Christ who they are. And there's something about the affirmation and the placing of identity upon a son or a daughter by a father that cannot be replicated anywhere else. And so my charge to you as dads, as fathers in this room today, um, man, relax, enjoy it, receive, you know, um, maybe just some alone time. Maybe that's what you asked for for Father's Day. I don't know. Um, but, but receive. But even as you do, I would challenge you to give. Take a moment in, in the lives of your sons and your daughters and remind them of who they are. Remind them of why you love them and bestow that identity upon them. Um, and, and we want to give a gift to you as well. Um, what would you do for a Klondike bar? <laughs> Apparently, it's father, children, provide, cover, shepherd, love them for the entirety of their lives. Apparently, that's what it takes to get one. Uh, summers at Antioch, we've got uh, all kinds of great stuff for the kids. But just for the dads, there are Klondike bars out there. So make sure you grab that. So if you're around one of these dads, just extend a hand. I'm going to pray for them quickly. And then they can sit down and get out of the spotlight here. So Lord, thank you for our fathers. God, we thank you um, for the gift of fathers in our lives. We thank you for the importance that each and every man in this room who is standing holds in the lives of their sons and daughters. We pray a blessing upon them 
as they lay their lives down, as they shepherd, as they steward, um, as they give generously and selflessly, we pray that you would pour yourself out on them. God, we pray for every father in this room. Uh, We pray for deep and healthy relationships with their kids. We pray you would restore um, and mend any places that are broken. We pray for all those um, who are grieving the loss or the absence of a father this morning. We pray your grace over them and we thank you that you are a perfect father. And I thank you for each of these men who is pointing their sons and daughters toward you. And we bless them unto that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, dads. Grab a seat. All right. Well, um, I have the privilege, you can see it real big on the screen behind me. I'm picking up our summer series here called Eyes of Faith, and it's a chapter study that's going through uh, the, uh, the book of, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. If you want and you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll be opening to it um, in just a moment, and, and I'm loving this series. What I've gotten to be a part of is I've been out of town for a couple of weeks in Southeast Asia, but, but the, uh, the, this, this calling of God to continue to steward revival And for us as a people to have eyes of faith, to believe for eyes of faith, to see what it is that God is doing, that we might continue to sow into it, that we might continue to hear God and hearing God obey him and obey him, encounter him. And having encountered him, then again to hear him and obey him and encounter him and to live this life, this rhythmic life of encountering God and hearing him and responding to him and over and over and over again, drawing closer and closer to him. And so here we are opening this Hebrews chapter 11, which has been kind of nicknamed nicknamed the hall of faith. And it highlights all these great men and women and this great, as Hebrews 12 says, this great cloud of witnesses These ones who have gone before us and shown us what it means to walk with eyes of faith. To step out maybe where things are not seen in the natural, but to believe God for what he has spoken and what he has promised. And we've heard a couple great messages. One on Abel, Andy delivered an amazing message um, last week on the life of Noah. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I encourage you to go back. And this week I, I get the softball lob of Abraham, right? The father of faith. It's like, okay, well, I think I could, we could probably figure out some things to say about Abraham and and faith. And as a matter of fact, the challenge somewhat with Abraham is actually to narrow it down because so much of his story is just faith step after faith step after faith step, eyes to see what God had promised and yet wasn't yet in existence, An incredible man. And thankfully, Hebrews actually kind of narrows it down for us. And so what we're going to be focusing specifically on this morning is the going of Abraham. This place where he picks up and leaves his home and his comfort and the things that he knows and loves because God has said go. And not knowing where he would go, he obeyed nonetheless. And so let's look at this here in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be starting In verse eight and reading through verse 10, and it says this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. It can be really exciting to go. Anybody like to go? I just went to Southeast Asia. I like to go. It's really fun. I like the adventure. I like the unknown. I like the new. I like experiences. I like ex learning different cultures and seeing the different ways that people do things. And, and, and not to mention we were in Southeast Asia, which is like paradise. It's like tropical and beaches and beautiful and incredible. Nonetheless, when you've been somewhere else that's not home for like nine or 10 days, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, paradise. Yeah, but kind of miss home. <laughs> you ever feel that? You're like, kind of miss home. Kind of like my bed, really miss my bed. I really miss just like, uh, like real hamburgers, <laughs> like real ones, you know, like American hamburgers that are really bad for you. Uh, I, I miss like my house. I miss my friends. I miss my dog. I miss my routine. You just start to like, you, you, start, to, you start to feel the stretch. Even when you're in some place that's incredible and beautiful, you start to feel the discomfort of being somewhere where you don't necessarily belong and everything is new and everything is different and your mind and your body are constantly having to adapt. And, and so going can be really hard. It can be uncomfortable. It's new language. It's how do I get around? It's what is going on with this culture? It's what kind of food are they eating? We tried durian. Wow. Um, some people almost threw up and others got it down, right? And like, it, so like, it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to go. And, and yet, I continue to go. Yeah, actually, I raised my hand and I said, Pete, put me in the game. Like, I want to go. Not only do I want to go, I want to go with my family. We want to go together because when I go, I encounter Jesus. When I get uncomfortable, I meet him. When I get out of my comfort zone, that's the place where, where God shows up. So we see that, we see from Abraham's life, like being comfortable has never been God's goal for our lives. Like there's nowhere in, God is the God of comfort, but there's nowhere in scripture where being comfortable is ever exalted as any kind of virtue. In fact, we see in the life of Jesus, Jesus chose for himself discomfort upon discomfort upon discomfort. Did he not? He was born poor. He was born in, in disgrace. He was born not known. He was born not looking all that handsome or great. He was just a normal, average looking guy. He was misunderstood. He was despised. He left his throne in heaven in all of glory. You talk about comfort. Right? A thousand hallelujahs. We just sang it. The angels worshiping him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus said, I'm going to leave the seat of glory. And I'm going to descend and become flesh. And not only am I going to become flesh, but scripture says that, that he lowered himself to the place of the servant. 
that he became the most uncomfortable that he could. And so we see it here in, in, in Hebrews 8, like God is not a God of the comfortable. And the reason is because this is not our home. He doesn't want us to be comfortable here. He doesn't want us to settle here. He's got a better home for us. A place we actually belong, a place we're made for. A place that's better than any place we've ever experienced, paradise or not. Comfort of home and familiarity of all the things we love and family and all those things or not. There's a, yet a better place. And so we see the, the, the problem that we actually come up against is, is being comfortable. Because being comfortable is comfortable. <laughs> Right? Like, and there's nothing wrong necessarily with being comfortable. It's, it's when being comfortable becomes our goal and our aim and the mission of our lives. It's when we begin to pursue our own comfort at the expense of pursuing and, and chasing after the person of Jesus and his goals and desires and callings and blessings that he has for our lives. And we actually see that. We're gonna get into the life of Abraham, but, but before we do, actually his life kind of picks up in Genesis chapter 12. And I want us to begin with Genesis chapter 11 because it gives us a little peek into the life of a man named Terah, who was Abraham's father. And let's just read this, because here's what it says about him, and it gives us a little picture of what it looks like when we kind of exalt comfort into this place of living our life around it. And we're gonna start in verse 31, um, and just read these last couple of verses of 11 here. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson. So Lot is... Terah's grandson, it's Abram's nephew. And he took also Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. So it's just a little snapshot. A lot of times when we read these things, we just kind of like, oh, they're giving us a little background, a little understanding. There's actually some really powerful stuff right here. There's some meat on this bone that I want to dive into for just a moment here. And, and so the first thing we need to see that's highlighted in the life of, of Terah is this. He had a son named Haran. It was Abraham's brother. And Haran died an untimely death. He died young. And it's important to note, like this isn't just randomly in scripture. All of scripture is God breathed. Everything in there has purpose and function. It's meant for our understanding. It's meant to add context to what's going on. And so really what we're understanding here is the author is wanting us to understand that, that this was actually a really significant event. I mean, obviously losing a child is a big deal, but this is something that deeply marked Abraham's father. It's, it's something that was like a, a thorn, so to speak, in his heart. It was this place of unresolved pain. And so we see Abram, he gets this call. Father Abraham, he gets this call. He's living in Ur. Ur is like right by Kuwait. It's down there by the Persian Gulf, okay? Um, and, and he gets this call to move to Canaan. God says, go out to this land. We're about to read it. You're going to Canaan. And Canaan is basically due west of Ur, 
But the way to get there is not due west because you'd be crossing directly through the Arabian Desert. Not very hospitable, right? So actually the way you would do it is you would go up and around and then down, okay? So you would go up basically from down at the Persian Gulf, up into Turkey, and then down the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea there, kind of through Syria, Lebanon, and down into Canaan. And so that's what they began to do. They set off. But what we learn about Terah here is that there were a few things that, that kind of kept him from actually making the journey all the way to Canaan. And you actually look at this verse. It says it right here. It says that they, it says they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to what? To go into the land of Canaan. So Terah actually set out with his son, Abraham, who has this call to go to Canaan with him. But he gets halfway there. He gets to the city named Haran and he stops. And we learn a couple things here about Terah. We learn specifically that he was willing to settle. That he got to Haran and there were a lot of things that, that were there that were, he was like, you know what? This is actually pretty comfortable. I really like it here. I think I'm going to stay. And, and there's reasons why we, and we can learn from him, why we settle in the comfortable places. And the first thing we learn is, is just simply this, that oftentimes something that looks like blessing or it looks easy or comfortable, we can interpret that as being God's will for our lives. You notice he didn't hear God. He, didn't, he wasn't responding in obedience to what God had said. He got somewhere and he was like, you know what? This town in Turkey that's green and vibrant, it's a trade route. There's a lot of people here. They came from Ur of the Chaldeans where they worshiped the moon god. There were a lot of people also in Haran who worshiped the moon god. He's like, you know what? This is pretty nice here. This, this feels, this is probably God's plan for my life, right? Look around, look at all this prosperity. Look at all the opportunity. Look at, look at how comfortable I can be here. And so a lot of times comfort comes and, and it disguises itself as the will of God because it, it looks like blessing. And it's like, well, if this, is, if this is good in every way, it must be God. The, the next thing we see is like, sometimes I think the reason that we settle down in, into comfort is because we're like, you know what? I made it pretty far. I did pretty good, <laughs> right? It's not like he did nothing. He got up, he left Ur, he traveled. He went all the way up, all the way, basically the whole route north to south through Iraq, which I mean, that would be a long way to walk. I don't want to do that, okay? Like, and and he, got, he got to Haran. He's like, you know what? I did pretty good. And I think sometimes for us as, as believers, there's this place of like, you know what? There was a time and a season where we were really responding to God. Where we were being moved by him. We were seeing him or God was doing something in our lives or in the periphery of our lives and the lives of people around us. And it moved us out of our comfort zones and good things happened and things were moving. And then, but then at some point along the journey, we found a place where we were like, you know what? I think I can settle here. This is this is good enough. I've come far enough. This is, I'm kind of comfortable in my walk with Jesus. I'm comfortable in this place, this degree of obedience, this degree of sanctification, this degree of looking like him in my life. And we just kind of settle. Like, this is comfortable. This will work. 
And the last thing I think we see that, that causes us sometimes to settle into comfort that we see in the life of Terah is this. Uh, and maybe you notice this. His son who passed away, what was his name? Haran. The place where he ended up settling, what's the name of that city? Haran. So here he is, he's, he's fleeing this place or probably because of the pain, probably because it reminded him of his son, probably because of these things that he'd experienced there that he wanted to get away from. And he gets to this city and the name of the city is the name of his son. And he goes, you know what? Like, th- th- this is where I'm supposed to be. And what, what's comfortable about it is, 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 in some ways, he was comfortable with his pain. He was still looking back to something that had happened in the past and not forward to the calling and the blessing that God had in front of him and was inviting him into. And so these three things, I think, are, are ways that we can settle into what's comfortable. We can find things that, that look like prosperity or look like blessing. And we can, we can say, this is, this is it, even though maybe God isn't speaking that. Or maybe it's a, just a waypoint. God's like, yeah, this is a place of blessing. But I mean it to be a stop. I mean it to be something on the way to the better things that I have for you. Or, or we make it a certain distance and we're like, you know what? That's, that's good enough. I did it. I, I, I've obeyed God. To, to a certain extent, and that's, that's fine. Or, or we have eyes that are looking back to the past. And there's something about something in our history, some place of pain or some place of familiarity or, or comfort that we kind of settle into where we are and we remain there because we're unwilling to kind of let go and move forward into the next thing that God has for us. And so Tara, he fell into the trap of mistaking his personal comfort for the calling and the blessing of God. May it not be so of us. And man, as Americans, I tell you what, we like our comfort, don't we? I mean, we even name food after it, comfort food. I love me some cornbread. That's what came to mind when I thought of comfort food right there. Praise God, I'm a Southerner. But, but when we make being comfortable our, our priority, what's really happening is that we're having a citizenship crisis. We're having a crisis of where do I belong? Where am I from? Where am I going? And like I said, God has never intended us as the people of God to be comfortable here in these lives. It's always meant to be temporary. It's always meant to, to be a, a shadow, a, a, a foretelling of greater things uh, that he has for us. And, you know, I, I actually learned this in a really personal way um, through pain. Your pain can be a really good teacher of like, you know what, I'm not made for this place. The older I get, the more I long for heaven. Does anybody else feel that? It's like the older I get, the more broken my body gets, Right? It's like, I can't even jump on the trampoline with my kids now. It hurts. I'm like, I got this big kid inside me and on the outside. I'm like, oh, that's painful, right? But like, but it was, you know, and I, I, I used, and I'm, I'm still enthusiastic and I'm, I'm still joyful, but I used to sort of be this, this um, eternal optimist in a, in a really negative way. I would bury pain and I would run from negative emotion and I, I wouldn't confront things and I would brush things to the side and and, and I got to the season where it was impossible to do that. I had just experienced so much grief 
and loss uh, and betrayal and failure that, that I couldn't run from it anymore. And it was like God pinned me in his mercy in my pain. He's like, no, Greg, I, I, actually, I actually need you to experience this. More than experience this, I need you to experience me in this place. You need to know that I'm here with you. You need to know not to be afraid of this. And, but, but in that place, what, what really stirred in me deeply was just this groaning for home. This groaning for heaven. Like, this is not where I belong, God. I'm not made to feel this way. I'm not made to hurt in this way. I'm not made to experience this kind of brokenness and this hurt and this need that I feel. And it, and it stirred in me this great longing for Jesus. Like, won't you just take me home? Can't I just be with you? Be in that place where you've promised there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no weeping, there's no strife, where all things are made right and all things are whole and something in my heart just began to deeply yearn and long for that place, that promised land that God has called us all to as followers of Jesus. Places where we're pressed and not crushed will often create eyes of faith. These places where we encounter God there in the pain, there in the pressing, where we can't encounter him that way anywhere else. And so for us, I, I think like, because none of us are programmed to enjoy pain, if you are, there's maybe something wrong with you, right? Um, and we maybe need to do some inner healing or listening prayer or something, but like, and so quitting comfort, like choosing to step away from what is comfortable, it can feel like a really Herculean task. Like comfort has an inertia to it, right? Like what's the hardest thing about a diet? It's starting it, right? I'll start on Monday, next Monday. If, well, it's a holiday, so maybe the next Monday, Right? Like, or you don't work out for like four days and you're like, oh, you just feel like a big old lump on a log, right? It's like, I got to do that again. Uh, you know, like the hardest thing, the hardest part of the workout is like the couch to the gym. Like that's the most difficult part. Like, and so there's an inertia to comfort, but, but the blessing for you and for I is in obedience. The blessing of God is in is in overcoming the inertia of our comfort and getting out into the wilderness, the, the, the beyonds with the Father. Because there's something there of desperation that, that draws us to him, right? Like when we get out beyond our own comfort, into these stretch zones, out of our comfort zones and into our stretch zones, it's there that we really learn, oh, I, I need Jesus, I need him. Like I can't rely on all the things that I use to kind of prop me up and keep me comfortable and keep me feeling safe and, and in control. And all of a sudden I need Jesus in a way I haven't needed him before. Oh God, come, right? And then that's where the blessing is. And Jesus says, okay, here I am. I'll show up, right? And so in opposition to his father, Abraham had eyes of faith. 
He was able to behold the blessing. He was able to behold the blessing in a way that, that compelled him to quit comfortable, to forsake it, to walk away from it. And so I wanna quickly look at, at three pieces of Abraham's journey that model how we can have eyes of faith like him. The ways that God is calling us to, to follow our father in the faith, Abraham. And these three things that, that he did that we see in his story, the first one is that, that Abraham saw God. And that's where it begins. We, we've got to see God. The second thing he did is that he took action. There was a response in the flesh to what he beheld in the spirit. And then finally, Abraham embraced the uncomfortable. He, he actually made uncomfortable his home, which is maybe not what you want to hear this morning. I know it makes me uncomfortable to hear that. So the first thing here is that we're quitting comfort to behold the blessing of God. So let's, let's look at it. Let's, um, let's look at Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. And it says this, now the Lord said to Abraham, his name's Abram at this point. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed pretty good. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife and Lot, his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. And at the time of the, uh, and at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham and Abram journeyed on, still going to the Negev. The first thing that I want us to see here is, is uh, is that God isn't calling us to leave something. He's calling us to go toward something. And that's a big differentiation that we need to understand because even as we're talking about quitting what is comfortable, it's like, well, God doesn't want us to just quit what is comfortable. That, that's actually not his design or his desire for us. His desire is that we would go to his blessing. And what's incumbent in going to his blessing is leaving behind something. To go to one place, you therefore have to leave another place. And if that's the place you've been, the place you've been dwelling, the place you've made home, it's probably a place that's comfortable. And going to a place you've never been that you don't know anything about, that by nature is uncomfortable. So God isn't actually really focused on comfortable and uncomfortable. He's focused on the blessing that he has for Abram. And he's saying the blessing isn't here. The blessing is there. And if you want the blessing, you need to leave here and go there. 
That's the calling on all of our lives. And when we get focused on, man, that's going to be uncomfortable, or I don't know if I can do that, that's when it gets really difficult. When we begin to focus on either what we're losing or what might not, we might not understand or what we might know. And, and the reason that Abram was able to go was because he was able to see God. He had eyes of faith. God showed up to him and spoke to him. And once we've seen God, it changes everything. Once we've encountered the person of Jesus, it, it changes everything about the, the matrix in which we make our decisions. That now we've got this supremely valuable thing that changes the math on everything else in our lives. We see the person of Jesus and, and we don't make decisions in the same way that we used to make decisions. The things that used to matter don't matter like they used to matter because we realize this isn't my home. This isn't where I'm from. I'm made for something greater. I'm made for something higher. I'm made for something more. And that, that something more is the person of Jesus. And so whatever it takes to obtain him, whatever it takes to be with him, whatever it takes to be near to him, yes. Yes. Yes, God. We, we had the privilege, there's a woman, a young woman, she's probably in her late 20s. Her name was Sandra. Um, and she was one of our translators um, on our trip in Southeast Asia. And one of the great blessings of our trip, we saw God heal people. We saw people have visions of Jesus appearing to them as we prayed for them. We saw people who had never heard the gospel before here for the first time. We prayed for people and they would encounter the, the, the presence of the living God. They would get goosebumps. They would feel warm. They would feel peace come over them. And they said, and they would ask, what is this? I, I feel so much relief and peace right now. All these different things that we experience, God moving in such powerful ways. But, but yet one of the most powerful experiences I had was sitting down with one of our translators who is more than just like a translator. They're really like partners in the mission of God. And we're sitting down with her and she's beginning to relay her story. And she just starts talking and for about 30 minutes over a KFC piece of chicken and rice, we're, we're sitting there and Sandra begins to just tell her story of encountering Jesus. And she'd been through the discipleship school um, there in the nation uh, that we were in and, and had had her life completely transformed. And she said, I just began to obey, I began to, to worship Jesus and, and see what he was worth. And then I began to walk out, I began to share my faith. I began to talk about him uh, with my family and with my friends. And, and she's starting to share the story. And she says, and then one day, um, God just stirs my heart for this village that's about an hour away. And I'd never been there, but, but God was calling me there. Sounds a little familiar, right? Go to a place you've never been. And so she grabs a friend. She's like, I think God is telling me to go to this village. She goes to this village, shows up, has never been there before, and begins to meet people and share the gospel. And for the first time in her life, she prays for somebody and they get healed. Like on the spot, healed, miracle. And she goes, oh, wow. <laughs> okay, right? She comes back the next week and there's a line of people waiting to see her and they're all sick. And she begins to pray for them and God begins to move in power in this village. And she goes from being this kind of outsider who had never been in to now she shows up weekly 
uh, to, to pour into this family. She's like, and as soon as I finish D school, I'm moving and I'm gonna go plant myself in this village and I'm gonna bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm sitting here with her and I'm going, this is different cultures, different languages, different peoples, and yet the same story. This is a story I love to hear. This is the story of my life. This is the story of the lives of so many of people I consider to be heroes. This, this life of, I saw Jesus and he changed everything and I sold it all for him. And he's moving like I never could have imagined he would move. Quitting comfort is, is a love response to seeing Jesus. It's like, what could I do? But go where you're going, Jesus, and do what you're doing. And this doesn't make any sense. And it, it doesn't make any sense to people out there. And in so many ways, it doesn't make any sense to me except, except you. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable about a man who finds a treasure buried in a field. And he gets up and he sells everything he has to buy the field that he might obtain the treasure. And what I want us to see in Abraham's life is that he saw the treasure first. And it was beholding the treasure that compelled him to sell everything he had. And so seeing with eyes of faith, it begins with an encounter with the living God. That's where it starts. We've got to see the one who's valuable above all other things. And then from there, we can do the next thing that we see in Abram's life, which is we can take action. And this is such an important part. Like faith is a, is a verb. It's not, it's not like a noun. It's not something we possess. I think this may have already been said at some point, but like, like we, we don't have faith. We are faithing. We are faith. Like that's, that's the actual like way that that Greek word is, is translated. Like it's, it, it has an, an active component to it. We're faithing in our lives. It's not like, oh, I have faith. Now I'm done. It's like, no, I'm, I'm faithing. There's this, this action component that comes to following Jesus, that comes to obedience. It's, it's, and we see it here. And, and I love this passage in verse four. It just says, in verse one, it says, now Abraham said to, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then in verse four, it just says this of Abram's life. So Abram went. There it is. Obedience, just simple obedience. Now we say like, oh, simple obedience. So Abram went, like what went into going? Oh, just uprooting his entire family. Oh, just trekking on camels. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm guessing, right? Like through the desert. I don't know, I'm taking some liberties here, okay? Like, um, like, like it, it wasn't a small deal to go. It was a huge deal. He was leaving everything he knew, everything that was comfortable. And, and so this, this Hebrews chapter 11, eight is so powerful because it says he went without knowing. God said, go. He said, go to a land you've never seen. Go to a place you haven't been. And Abram went without knowing. How many of you like to know? Anybody in here like plan their vacation like to the hour, right? Like, okay, stop getting your toes done. We must move on to the banana boat. Right? Like, we're late. Let's go. Right? It's like, are we vacationing? Or are we like, like what's happening here? Right? Um, Grayson uh, is, is my um, 
he's my seven, almost eight-year-old, and we were walking in a park um, in Southeast Asia, um, and we came across this giant vine that was hanging down from the tree. And I was like, that looks super fun to swing on. And then my next thought was, I don't know if that's going to hold me. <laughs> and then my next thought was like, Grayson's the smallest. Let's put him on the vine, right? <laughs> and so here's a picture of Grayson. Um, he's actually, oh, it's kind of small. But uh, there he is. And you can, if you look closely, you can see that is not a face of joy. Um, that's actually a face of, of pain. But I couldn't not show the vine picture. And, and you know, like, this is the, the, the active part. This is just a picture the Lord gave me. It's like this place of faith, this active place of faith. There's, it's like Tarzan. We're swinging on these vines through life with God, right? And we're reaching out for one thing. And, but even as we do, we're releasing the thing that's behind us. And that's a hard action to take because more often than not, the thing that we're reaching for, we don't yet have. And the only way to get it is to release the thing that we've had. Because in order to keep our momentum swinging forward, we've got to let go. And then there's this moment of sort of free fall, this moment of in-between. You, know you know what the Bible calls that moment of in-between? Faith. It's when we let go of what we had and we don't yet have a grasp of what is next. And there's this tension of obedience of God. By faith, I'm letting go. And yet I haven't obtained what you've promised, the blessing that's in front of me. And here I am suspended in midair. You have to take care of me. You've got to come through. God, faith is the moment between vines. And so going means leaving. It means letting go of things. It means releasing what was, even things that have been blessings, right? The vine that we were swinging on at one point was a faith reach for us. And now we've carried that to where it can take us. And God's saying, now let go of that good thing and lay a hold of the next better thing. From glory to glory, from strength to strength, I'm taking you, my child. Come with me. What we don't see without doing a little bit of digging here in Genesis is that it's kind of interesting because it tells the story of Terah and it kind of tells his full story. They moved to Haran, he settled in Haran and then he died in Haran. But what we don't see, if you go back and do a little bit of math about Abram's age and Terah's age and Lot's age and kind of when it all works out, what you understand is that Abram didn't leave Haran after Terah died. He left Haran six years after they got there. So there was a 60-year period where Terah lived in Haran by himself without his family. Well, at least not with Abram and Lot and their families. Where Abram said, I'm leaving behind. I'm letting go of what is comfortable. I'm letting go of family. You know, sometimes God is asking us to let go of family. To let, and it's not that we're saying, I don't love them. What we're releasing is like, I, I, they, they aren't dictating what I do with my life. 
Who's dictating what I do with my life? Oh, it's, it's the word of the Lord. That I, I go where God says to go. And this is what Abram is doing. He's, he's letting go. And this is exactly what God called him to. Will you let go of your country? Will you let go of your tribe, your people, the way that you do things? And will you let go of your family? That you might obtain the blessing, a blessing that's greater than you could ever imagine. And Abram says, yes. I imagine there were about six years where he's trying to convince his dad to go. And he finally realizes, you know what? Dad's not coming but I have to obey. I'm not, I, I haven't gone all the way yet. I haven't obeyed all the way yet. And so I think, you know, for some of us, we're like Grayson, maybe kind of dangling on a vine. <laughs> We've lost our momentum. We feel a little stuck and maybe our hands are hurting like his and we're going, ah, this used to be comfortable and now I hate it. And I want to invite you that the place of blessing is obedience. And so there's a faith step. There's something that God's inviting you to do to release something and take a hold of the next thing so that he can carry you on to what he has forward in him. The, the last thing that we see in Abram's life. So first, first he, he saw God. He had an encounter with God. The next thing that he did um, was, was that he um, took action. He put his faith into practice. And finally, we see Abram's life. He embraced the uncomfortable. He learned to live in the place of dependence with God. And that's what Canaan was. It was a place where he was a foreigner and a stranger and didn't know the ways. And God had promised him possession, but he didn't actually possess any of the land. So though he was wealthy, though he had a lot going for him, he, he still was really uncomfortable. Like, what am I, what am I doing here? Except that, that God said. And so we see a few things real quickly I want to touch on that, that Abram did to embrace the uncomfortable, to embrace this place of needing God. And the first thing that he did is he walked the land. You guys ever like, remember like the junior high dance, right? Where the girls were like over here and the boys were like over here, right? And then it'd be like, you'd find the one sacrificial lamb, right? And he'd be like, okay, bro, you can go, you can go over there. She'll say, yeah, she's going to dance, you know. And then maybe her friends look right, you know, like, and you kind of pump him up. And he's like, okay, okay, I'm going to do it, right? And again, and it's like the impossible chasm across the gymnasium floor to the other side, right? And he, and he gets over there and it's like, uh, uh, hey, Sarah, uh, What's up? Cool, cool, cool. Okay. You know, anybody been there before? It's like you walk up to the edge, right, of that place of uncomfort, and then you get there and you just totally chicken out. You're like, peace. Like, okay, I tried. She didn't say yes. Did you ask her to dance? No. You know, like, right? And what we see with Abram is he didn't just walk up to the edge of Canaan and be like, I did it, God. I got here. Going back to Haran. <laughs> Going back to Ur. Right? No. He walks the land. And if you look at the geography of what's being described here in Genesis chapter 12, he literally goes all the way from the north to the very southern tip of the land. He walks it. He says, this is my possession. This is what God has promised me. I'm going to see the whole thing. 
I'm going to go all the way. I'm not going to, I'm not living on like yesterday's yes to God. I'm living in this place of dependence. It's an everyday yes. Okay, now where God? Now where am I stepping? Now where am I going? The next thing that we see that, that, that Abram did is he worshiped. It said he built altars. He would encounter God and he would build an, build an altar. And this is what getting into the places that we're uncomfortable forces us to do. It causes us to worship God. We took Emery when she was about nine months old to Uganda, Africa. And we get there and about a, a week or two into our, our extended stay there, she spikes this fever for like, it's like 36 hours. And it's like 102, 101, 102, 103 um, we're up in the middle of the night and she's crying and she's just like fiery hot and we don't know what to do. And we had literally defied our parents to take her on this trip. They were like, you're crazy. What are you doing? And we're like, Jesus said, go. And so we went and here we are and we're alone in our hotel room and our baby is crying and she has a fever and we have no idea what to do. And it's just this desperate moment of Jesus, you have to come through. Like you've, you've got to show up. Like we said, yes, where are you? Where are you? And, we, and, and then, and then, it, and then it, as we cry, it turns to worship. God, we trust you. We love you. Like come through. And can I just tell you, like she's fine, obviously. Um, uh, God, God did work. He healed her. We got medicine, all that stuff. But there was something that God did in that place of desperate need that changed us as parents forever. He got a hold of our hearts from the word go with our kids. They're not yours. They're mine. I'm their father. I'll take care of them. I'll provide. I'll lead. I'll shepherd. You follow me changed. It could forever change because I, we were willing to go where it was uncomfortable because we were willing to worship and to meet God in that place. And, and finally, the thing that Abram did is he lived. He, he lived. He actually dwelt. He, he pitched a tent in the place of God's promise. He said, okay, God, you've called me here. I'm going to live here. I'm going to live where it's uncomfortable. I'm going to continue to do the hard thing and I'm going to meet you here. And again and again, and this is, this is decades of reliance upon God. And actually in Hebrews, it, it says this about Abram. Um, later down here, it says this. These all died in faith, talking about all these great cloud of witnesses we're talking about, Abram included. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Having greeted them from afar. This is what we learn and this is actually what God shares with Abram. He promised these incredible blessings, all of which came to pass, but none of which Abram actually got to see with his own eyes. He didn't see a family that was a multitude as great as the stars. And he saw some of them, I guess. He, he saw Isaac and, and Jacob. But, but there was so much of the promise of God, he didn't see his people inherit the land and come to possess it. But what he did receive 
is told to us in Genesis chapter 15 when God makes his covenant with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. This is the secret, church. God gave blessings. He gave promises. He gave all these things that we're swinging from vine to vine and we're reaching for those promises of God and the things that he wants to give us. But what we discover in the in-between as we let go of one thing and reach for the next thing that we don't yet have, what we discover in that tension of the in-between is that what we really want and all we really need is Jesus, our very great reward. That he's enough. And that's why we risk. It's why we get uncomfortable because that's where we discover in faith that he's all that we need. And so the reality of our lives is that it's all the in-between. It's all the in-between. Like we're all, all of this life that we live is in between one vine and the next. And so God's inviting us, will we live with eyes of faith? Will we behold the blessing of the person of Jesus in such a way that we're compelled to leave behind. We're compelled to quit what is comfortable and easy and feels like home, but actually isn't home because we've been called to a greater place. And so this morning, the invitation is like, what comfort is God inviting you to quit? Any of you uh, may know, uh, some of you may know Bob Goff, he's an author. Um, wrote the book, Love Does. And he talks in that book about, they have, they have a day, it's called Quit Thursdays. And every Thursday, literally, he quits something. And like one day he walked into his office with all of his employees and was like, we're finding a new office. Not, not a reason, their old office wasn't bad. He's like, we're finding a new office. And they get out and they went and they found another office and they canceled their lease for this office and moved all their stuff to this office. Why? Because it was Quit Thursday. <laughs> We're gonna quit something, right? And the whole point of the exercise is like, I'm not gonna keep doing things the way I've been doing them. I'm gonna purposefully make myself uncomfortable so that I continue to grow. And so what has become stale in your life? What's become familiar? What's become uh, uh, comfortable? Where have you not taken a step of faith because maybe it's difficult to quit comfort? because it's difficult to let go of that old thing so that you can obtain the next thing that God has for you. So I'm gonna invite you to do this. We're gonna respond in just a moment, but first I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this question. And God, where are you calling me to quit? What's something that's comfortable, God, that I can lay aside And then as he's highlighting that and he's speaking to that, your response to him, this is that action piece that we see in Abram's life. I will. What's that action? What's your response? I will. I will what? How are we going to respond? How are we going to be changed by God's word? What are we going to do? So Father, make us an I will people. Make us a people who are known for being doers and not just hearers. Make us a people with eyes of faith who will risk 
our own lives, our own comfort, our own familiarity, that we might obtain this heavenly promise, these better things that you have for us, God. And so Lord, would you stir our hearts here this morning? Would you stir us to action? Would we leave this place changed and transformed and moving toward you? Would it carry us through our week in action? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up. And as you do, our, our prayer team is going to come forward. And there's a couple of different ways. Um, I believe God's inviting us to respond this morning. And, and the first one is, like, if I'm sharing about that compelling vision of Jesus, the way that Abram saw him or Sandra, uh, who I shared about, saw Jesus and it compelled them to action because they couldn't but respond to who Jesus was. And you're like, you know what? I need to see Jesus again. I need to encounter him. I need a fresh glimpse of his goodness and his glory. If that's you, I just wanna invite you, this area up here every single week, whether you're responding to what I just said or anything else is open. I just invite you to come get on your knees and you can start responding even now as I'm sharing, if that's you and just come and cry out to him and say, God, I wanna see you again. I need something fresh. I'm stuck. I need to see you. And, and then the second thing there is kind of what we just did, but for some of us, it's quitting time right? And you might either need someone to pray for you for some courage and some accountability to quit, or you might just need to tell somebody else what it is that God just spoke to you. But, but vocalizing that thing out loud makes it very real. And so I'd invite us to respond in that way here as well. And then finally, um, of course, our prayer team is up here. If you have any needs, there's anything that's going on in your life, whether it's been mentioned or not, we wanna pray with you. We don't want you to leave this place without being ministered to and loved on because this, th this is the time. This is, everything else is funneling right into this moment here where we can respond to God and his word. So please don't leave without doing that. And, and I would say this, even if you're not called to come forward, you're not responding here. Can I encourage us to get a little bit uncomfortable and maybe God would have you go encourage and pray for somebody else in the room. Maybe somebody who's up here or maybe just somebody who's across the aisle from you. And so I'd encourage you to be bold, step out, get a little bit uncomfortable and you, you might be really surprised at what God wants to do. So let's be responders to, to the Lord now as we end our service.